The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Well, hey, we are in a series called Mood Swingers. Today is part three, and uh, if you're looking for a place to go in the Bible, James chapter one would be a good spot. It's quite a ways through your Bible, and of course, if you have a smartphone, you got a Bible app on there, you can look that up. If you don't have one, but you want to follow along in the seat in front of you, there is a Bible. I got a question for you. Um, How many of you out there have been bungee jumping? Just raise your hands. Okay, come on, raise your hands high. Where are you at? All right, so yeah, just a few. Now, how many out there go, I've never been, but someday I want to go bungee jumping? Raise your hands, okay? Quite a few more hands, kind of a bucket list thing. How many out there go, absolutely not, no way? Yeah, I'm, I'm in that group, I got to be honest. I, I jumped out of a plane a year and a half ago, one time on my bucket list. Everything was great until he pulled the chute, and all of a sudden got like, spun around, and I was sick from then until I threw up a little while later. So the good news was I didn't throw up in the air, though, because I'd have been like, ah, you know, so, but I didn't do that. Um, but bungee jumping, I'm thinking, I can't imagine, like, you literally, like, off a bridge and stuff. So what I did was, for this message, I was looking up um, videos on, on bungee jumping, and it's like, okay, yeah, everything, same thing, same thing. So I decided, okay, I'm going to type in extreme bungee jumping. So I did that, and one of the videos was, like, top 10 extreme bungee jumping, and it was off of, like, dams and, like, towers like the Space Needle, but not, but, like, the Space Needle or um, some of the high, high bridges in other countries and even in, in the U.S., Vancouver, so um, crazy, crazy stuff, but then I'm like, is there anything more extreme? And I was going to show you one of the videos. I'm like, all right, forget it. I found the most extreme one. And I thought maybe you'd appreciate this half as much as I did. So check this out just for a second here. Okay, just, just stop it there. So, just stop it there. What in the world is wrong with people? Now, okay, wait a minute. Let me ask this for a How many of that intrigues you? Like, yeah, maybe I would. Okay, Jesus delivered them and them. And Lord, something is wrong upstairs. When, anyway, I was like, I, honestly, I looked at that and went, you've got to be joking. Because here's the thing. I'm the kind of guy, okay, if by chance I would bungee jump, it would be onto one of those giant pillows. Like if something goes wrong, like you hit the pillow or whatever. Or, or even water, like, okay, not as great, but even water, like, okay, maybe that would be okay. But like volcano, there's like zero degree, whatever, you know, like anything goes wrong, helicopter, something or other, or the little rope break, whatever, like forget it, like you're done. You don't even, and it's just like that, like you're, you're volcano dust in no time, right? That's it. So anyways, um, some of you see that and you still want to do it. And I, I, Lord help them. But my fear meter would clearly be at an all time Hi, and uh, so today in our Mood Swinger series, we're going to talk about fear and we're going to talk about anger. So we're navigating the emotions and, and fear and anger are the two we're going to tackle today. Now, these two could be considered um, the extreme emotions because they typically induce the most emotional output from fear that can become like, like freezing in terror to anger that becomes blind rage. These two can take us on a roller coaster if we let them. And so um, we're, we're going to jump in. But for, let me rewind to part one and ask you this. How many of you did your homework from part one and watched the movie Inside Out? Just raise your hands. Okay, you did it. Okay. A few. That's not very good, you guys. Come on. The movie, Pixar movie, cartoon, whatever, but really, really good movie. Now, how many of you also did the homework of memorizing Proverbs 4.23? Anyone in here? 
So yeah, like one hand, two hands all day today. Awesome, okay. I will accept late homework, but I'm going to deduct points. So there you go. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything in life flows out of it. Proverbs 4. 23. The quick reminder, and then we're going to jump in and we're going to start with anger. The quick reminder is this. If you're taking notes, write this down, and I encourage note-taking. We sell journals in the lobby, not to make money, but so you can be a, a note-taker, and it's great for life groups as well. If you're taking notes, write this down. Emotions are not good or bad. They just are. And you need to know that because it's easy to go, anger's a bad one, joy's a good one. Andrew did a great job last week talking about uh, joy and sadness, and we assume joy's a good one, but joy is not a good one if you find joy in the demise of a person or something like that, you know? So that's just a quick example of joy is great on a lot of levels, but there's some ways that joy is not a good thing, as well as like with anger um, or fear, there are such things as good and bad anger, good and bad so we're going to jump in. James chapter 1 says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slower still to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. Father, as we pray today, we invite your spirit to do a work in every one of our hearts that God, there's for all of us moments of fear, moments of anger, where something gets the best of us and things don't go well. And my prayer is that you would help us discern those times in our lives to do the right things, God, and walk out your plan for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's James, and he's writing to churches. In general, he's writing to churches. The letter opens with to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So he's writing to Jewish believers. But today, fast forward, this is for all of us that would say we're followers of Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. So if you're writing it down, good job. Take note. Okay, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Now, we could stop there. I could pray a prayer and we could leave because you're like, I could use that one. Like, quick to listen, I'm not so good at. So, and don't nudge your spouse, by the way. If you're in here and do, so don't do that. Okay, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slower still to become angry. Okay, James is saying here that, that it's not that anger doesn't have a place in our lives. But what he's saying when he says slow to become angry is simply this, that you can correctly process the fact that something is rising up, an emotion is rising up inside of you, that if you let it go all of a sudden, things are going to go wrong. But if you can manage or keep it at bay and process a situation correctly, then that means that you can get angry for the right reason, or you can realize it's the wrong reason and squelch it before you make a mess. So James is acknowledging, hey, it's okay sometimes to get angry, but maybe not nearly as often as you might think. So everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slower still to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The idea here is that there are such things as unrighteous and righteous anger. Okay, most often, if you're taking notes, you should write this down, most often, unrighteous anger or human anger is motivated by protection or promotion of self. We get angry because we're about to be slighted. We get angry because somebody lied to us and, and, and we feel the pain of that and we take it on internally. We, we get angry for reasons that we're not being protected or promoted the way that we hope that we would be. In Genesis chapter 4 verses 3 through 7, here's a story. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering. 
the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Time out. The reason, as you study this, is because what Cain brought was like this. Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going before the Lord. I grab a little bit of stuff over here. Who cares if it's garbage? Here you go. Here it is, Lord. And Abel had a reverence and a respect enough for the Lord that it says he brought the best of the firstborn, which would have been the proper sacrifice in that day. And so it says that, that on Cain, he did not look with favor. So, verse 5, Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. I mentioned these verses just a, a, probably a couple of months ago, but it's this. Then the Lord said to Cain, and if this is you and you deal with anger and there's an unrighteous anger that rises up in you and you find yourself burning bridges and you find yourself lashing out and you find yourself sideways with people because of anger, you find yourself not getting promotions or advancement in your career because of your attitude and the anger that you can't control, then this is for you too. Then the Lord said to put your name in there. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But, and here's the warning for you, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. That's up to you. That's a picture of unrighteous anger. And just a few verses later, what happens? Cain doesn't manage his anger, and this sin overtakes him that he ends up murdering his own brother. That's the power of anger not dealt with properly. And we go, I would never kill anybody. But didn't Jesus say, I don't care if you've ever killed anybody. If you've ever hated someone in your heart, then you might as well have murdered them. Ouch. Another story in 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 9. Whatever mission Saul sent David on, he was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home uh, after David had killed the Philistine, Goliath, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So Saul was very angry. His refla this refrain displeased him greatly, this song. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Saul, in his anger, as you continue the story of Saul and his kingship and the removal of his kingship and the rise of David, over and over and over, Saul, in his anger, tries to kill David. It was a self-preservation move, and that's what selfish, unrighteous anger does in our hearts. Over and over, he tried to kill David. Here's a few verses that you can write down. Proverbs 14, verse 17 and 29. Proverbs 15, 1 and 18, and this is all through the book of Proverbs, but here's just a couple I just picked out. Short-tempered people do foolish things. Anybody with me on that one? Anybody else with me on that one? Yeah, I 
remember, when I was, when I was younger, honestly, I, this sounds pitiful, and I'm sorry, but I didn't have a lot of money. I was trying to go to school debt-free, study and ministry at Northwest University, and I had a piece of junk car. But I commuted from here to Kirkland all the time, and I would get stuck in traffic. This thing was such a piece of junk that there was a point, I have solely ruined the environment, okay? My car leaked almost a quart of oil a day. I would put a quart in like every morning before I head to school. I know, horrible, right? But what would happen is it would leak out of the engine and fall on the exhaust system and burn. So there'd be like this blue billow around like driving down the road. I'm like, this is so bad. One day I was stuck in a traffic or whatever and, and there's like smoke all around me and it ended up somehow getting in my, uh, the vent system and into my car. There was like blue smoke in my car. I was so frustrated. I punched my windshield and broke it. I know, like short-tempered people do foolish things. So stupid. And I know you've never done anything that dumb. Okay, a couple other verses I mentioned. Hot, a hot temper shows great foolishness. Harsh words make tempers flare. A hot-tempered person starts fights. And for some of you in this room, you're going, that's me. And I've done that to my marriage. I've done that with my kids. I've done that with grandpa. I've done that with my uncle. I've done that with my friends. Or maybe you think of someone in your family or that you know that you go, that is them. Either way, dear Lord, work in these situations. Help us identify unrighteous anger. Now let's, let's turn the tables. Righteous anger reflects God and his hatred towards sin and passion for justice. Righteous anger, if you're taking notes, reflects God's hatred of sin. In the book of Exodus, the so Old Testament for a moment here, in the book of Exodus, Moses is leading the people. They've left Egypt. They're trying to get into the promised land, all this stuff. And at one point, God calls Moses to go up to the mountain and to pray. So he goes and prays. Joshua goes with him. And, and, and down in the camp, there's no leadership. Like Aaron's the brother of Moses, but Aaron's not a great leader. And so they, they come to Aaron and go, hey, Moses is gone. This whole Lord relationship thing with Moses is not happening. Hey, we want to worship something. Could you take care of that for us and maybe make a golden calf like some of these other nations? And Moses, in his vast wisdom, goes, sure. And so um, all of a sudden, he says, hey, you know, give me earrings, give me gold. And they pull it together, they heat it up, and they literally carve, they make a golden calf out of this gold. And, and they bring it out of the fire, and they begin to have a giant nationwide party, and they bow down to this calf, and they worship these other gods, other nations. Oh, that's how they do it. That's how we want to do it then. Moses is out of here. And God all of a sudden says to Moses, Moses, you need to leave up here, and you need to go down there because something's gone really wrong. And so Moses heads down the mountain and Joshua goes, hey, I hear something. It sounds like war in the camp. And Moses goes, that's not the sound of war. They're having a party. We got issues. Let's get down there. So Moses gets down the mountain and sees that the nation is having a party, worshiping other gods in the fashions of other nations and sees this golden calf and gets irate. He's like, how dare you guys? Aaron, didn't I tell you, leaders, didn't I tell you in our nation that we cannot bow down to these other gods? We can't do this. What is this golden calf thing? And Aaron goes, well, you were gone and they wanted me to do it. And so I gathered up gold and threw it in the fire and a, and a cow jumped out. It's like what he says. And Moses is like, you moron. I told you not to do that. And all of a sudden, the nation is like, uh, what's going to happen now? Moses is back. The Lord's probably back too. And Moses challenges the Levites who did not bow down. He says, you've got to take care of this problem, of this sin. And 3,000 people die that day. As the story continues, later on, a plague hits because of it, and more people die. You want to talk about a, a righteousness and a passion for things that are right? 
Now, before we go too far with this, let me take you to the New Testament for a little bit here and say this. We, we as followers of Christ, most of us in here, we're, we're followers of Christ, and we believe that Jesus is our Savior. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and never sinned, but paid the price for our sins, which means that when we see Jesus angry, he didn't sin. So listen to this, John chapter 2. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get those out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. He's quoting Psalm 69.9. Jesus has a righteous anger. And the reason was because they were told for centuries, do not bring these things into the temple. Yes, you can sell animals outside of the temple for the temple sacrifice, but you're not to bring them in the temple for that reason. And you're not to make money off of them. And that's exactly what they were doing. People were extorting individuals as they were coming towards the temple to buy animals for the Old Testament sacrifice. So they were in the temple that they shouldn't have been in and people were making money and extorting money off of others that had to make a sacrifice. And Jesus is indignant. And he goes out and he makes a whip and he's whipping and he's flipping tables and going, get this out of here. That's righteous anger. An anger for things that should have been done appropriately. Now you go, well, what about you and me and having a righteous anger? I mean, look at the world we live in. And are you saying, Nick, that in our righteous anger that we need to go out there and people who don't line up with the things that we believe or do things opposite of what we think should be done, that we should go out and be violent and whip them and, and, and bomb things and do crazy stuff? Absolutely not. And I want you to hear that. Because in the name of Jesus, in the history of our world, some pretty ugly stuff has been done, whether you know that or not. And I want to remind you of things like the Crusades, because here's what we can do. We can pick on all kinds of world religions and go, well, that religion, there's a bunch of freaks, and that religion, there's a bunch of zealots, and that religion. And the truth is, even within our own faith in Christ, people have done some pretty bad stuff. And I would immediately, and you can too, I would immediately take them to Romans chapter 9 that I want to read to you for a moment. If you're taking notes, write that down too. Romans 9, 22 through 24. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. You go, what are you saying? What does that say? What Paul is saying to the church at Rome is, hey, God is powerful, and yes, there is wrath, but in the season we're in, which we're still in, grace is poured out, mercy is poured out, instead of violence and judgment and harming of other individuals. So, in our zeal for righteousness, in our passion to do the right things, let me take one example. I get angry that in our world that there are individuals that go without three meals a day, that, that sometimes live on less than one meal a day all over the world and in our own community. And I don't think that should happen. And I stand up here and many of you sit here in the same boat I'm in. I've never had to worry about a meal. I never have. 
But there are people in our own community and all over the world that, that, that they go without eating and there are corporations that get so much food that because it doesn't get pro- produced or, or get sold in the right amount of time, they'll heap it up and burn it or they'll bear, dig holes and bury it because they can't make money off of it anymore and that makes me angry. And so what do we do? Because there's grocery stores all over. Well, let's go bomb them. That's not right. Let's go beat up the manager because that's what crazy people think. It's not what I'm saying. Let me correct this quickly. No. What I'm saying is, like people in our own community have done, and they're called gleaners, they go out to some of these stores and go, hey, you guys, I realize that a whole shelf of stuff is about to expire, and what you would normally throw away and write off as a loss, you can donate and get credit for, but would you donate it, and what we're going to do is we're going to give it to people that really could use it? See, it's a constructive way of extending mercy to people making dumb decisions. I don't agree that stuff should be thrown away when kids are starving. But I'm not going to go out and do something crazy because that's not going to solve it. What I'm going to do is go out there and there are people that have gone to these corporations and a lot of these corporations because word got out and it's easy to go, hey, quit buying their stuff. They go, okay, tell you what, we're not going to bury it anymore. We're absolutely going to get barges and it happens and we're going to send it to these other countries where it is needed and we're going to make sure it gets to them so they can consume it in the right amount of time before it goes bad. Because people finally went, I don't like this, and it needs to change. But instead of being angry, I'm going to find a constructive outlet for my righteous anger. So it's a reminder, and let me continue on, and we'll wrap this part up, and then we're going to get to fear. In your anger, do not sin. Well, what what, what do you mean? What would sin be? Lash out? Use expletives? Burn bridges relationally? Allow bitterness to stew because you're angry and you refuse to resolve the situation. Paul says in Ephesians 5, in your anger, 4, excuse me, Ephesians 4, in your anger do not sin. And he's quoting Psalm 4, 4. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. If you want to give the devil a foothold, don't resolve your anger. It's that simple. I'm going to jump into the conversation about fear now. 1 John 4.18, write that down. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The thing here is you can read that and go, there is no appropriate fear in my life. I rebuke fear. There shouldn't be any fear. Now, In principle, according to 1 John, there's truth to that. But the context is an unhealthy fear that keeps us from doing what is right. A fear that immobilizes us from taking action. Oftentimes in the world that we live in, it becomes a fear of man or a fear of failure, which is connected, by the way, and is actually an issue of pride. We fear failure. What am I going to look like if this doesn't go well? And we fear, man, what are they going to think of me if I don't do this right? So unhealthy fear keeps us from doing what is right. So when 1 John 4 says there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, it's this kind of fear that that is unhealthy that keeps us from God's plan. There's a story, and I'm going to take you to John 19. There's a story where Jesus has been arrested and he's being tried and Pilate is in the mix and, and Pilate's kind of the ruler. And, and, and so um, it says in, in John 19, verse 4, Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! 
crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. And according to the law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, look at this, he was even more afraid. What is Pilate afraid of? Well, on one hand, here he's afraid that if this really is the son of God, I don't want to be guilty of having him crucified. That's not a good thing. But what trumps his fear of God here is his fear of man, okay? It says, he went back inside of the palace. He asked Jesus, where do you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have the power to free you or crucify you? Now here's Jesus. Pilate is an example of fear. Jesus is an example of faith. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it weren't given to you from above. And he's not talking heaven. He's talking about the authorities over that are intimidating Pilate. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, in his fear of man, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Specifically, Pilate was enraptured by a fear of man. And let me just bring it to you. What about you? Are there things that you believe God would want you to do? Are there, are there steps you believe God would want you to take? Are there conversations you believe God would want you to have, but you're so afraid of how it might go or it, wouldn't, it won't go? You're so afraid of, 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 of the consequences of trying to breach that thing or what people would think of you that you refuse to take the steps that you believe God would have you take? That's a fear of man. It's the same thing Pilate fell prey to. So the, the reminder as we continue on, there's another example that relates to God. In Matthew 25, 14 through 30, Jesus is teaching and he teaches what's called the parable of the talents. And he says to one individual there was given five talents and we're not talking like juggling and playing guitar, we're talking money, okay? The parable of the talents. To one was given five talents, to one two, to one one. And the, the, the guy who gave the talents went away on a journey and wanted them to, to work with the, what they were given. And he comes back a while later and he says, hey, I gave you five to the one. He says, I gave you five. What'd you do? He said, I invested, I did this stuff, and now I have 10. And he goes, well done, great job, way to go. Enter now in the Lord's favor. The, the one with two, he says, what did you do? He says, I, well, I had two, now I have four. Look what I did. He goes, well done, great job, way to go. And he says to the one, you had one, what did you do? He goes, well, I knew you were a harsh man. I knew that you, you, you know, reaped where you didn't sow and all that stuff. And, and he says, so what I did was I dug a hole and I buried mine. But here's the deal. Because I knew where it was buried, no one else did. I dug it back up and here it is. And, and the, the guy goes, the, the, the owner of the, the talent goes, you wicked, lazy servant. You could have at least taken it and put it in security in a bank where it would have gained interest. And you didn't even do that. Now, you go, well, what does that have to do with anything? The idea is that the owner of the, the, the talents that were being given out, the idea is that that's a picture of God. And what it is is a reflection of an unhealthy fear of God also. And so there's an unhealthy fear where we fear man or where we feel fear of failure, but we can also have this fear of God where we're immobilized by like, if I take a step and everything fails, what's, what's gonna happen? He's gonna get mad at me. And we need to realize that in God's grace, he wants us to take steps of faith. He wants us to be on this journey where we go, I don't know exactly what's gonna happen, but because I believe you've said this, I'm gonna take a step and God, meet me where I'm at here. 
rather than go, I'm just going to play it safe all the time and hopefully I just get to heaven. Finally, I want to talk about a healthy fear. A healthy fear does two things. One, and this is just practical, it keeps us safe from things that will harm us. Just think like avoid X Games stuff would be an example, okay? Don't swim with sharks be another one, okay? Don't bungee jump in third world countries where the tower looks something like this, okay? Bad idea. Because by the way, that guy landed on his head. But anyway, okay, we're gonna keep going. Um, Okay, a healthy fear creates in us a mechanism called fight or flight, okay? It's the idea that you're out in the woods and you see a bear at a certain distance and all of a sudden your adrenaline gets going, you feel this fear. Well, that's a good thing in that, okay, do I have what it takes to fight it off because I have a gun or whatever or do I climb a tree or run or whatever? It's a healthy fear that goes, I've got to take action to do something to protect myself, okay? The other side also of healthy fear is that it ought to drive us to trust and pursue God above all. We ought to have a healthy fear of God. And that's not the parable of the talents thing. That's an unhealthy fear. A healthy fear is simply this, a reverence for his power and his ways. And for the sake of time, I can't give you, I, there, there's a bunch that where it talks about do not be afraid. And John Eilander years ago, somebody I respect, and he passed away, he's an attorney now. He said this, when I studied the Bible, I found 366 instances where it says do not fear or do not be afraid. And he goes, that sounds like one for every day of the year, including leap year. And that's probably something you ought to know as well. Do not be afraid. But in the right way, the fear of the Lord is a healthy reverence for his power and ways. Proverbs 1, verse 7, and chapter 9, verse 10. I know I'm giving you a lot of verses if you're writing them down. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord, it's repeated, is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Fear has its place, unhealthy fear doesn't. And as I end this right now, I want to say this. It's not the emotion, but the execution of the emotion that matters. It's not the emotion. You're going to feel afraid. You're going to feel fear. You're going to feel angry. If you're human in this room, you're going to have those moments where you're arrested by fear or you feel something boiling inside of you that's anger. It's not the emotion, but the execution of the emotion that matters. God, today, my prayer for all of us is that we understand it's easy to label certain emotions. That's a good one. That's a bad one. But the truth is, God, it's about the fact that we're going to have certain emotions. It's what we do with those emotions that matters. Help us walk out your wisdom. I pray for every one of us to be confronted by where we miss it, by where we have burned bridges in anger, where we have been frozen in fear, and we ask your spirit to do a work that we can break through these things in our lives and deal with them appropriately in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.